may be seated. Our children may be dismissed with our volunteers in the back to Children's Church. For those who remain, I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to be, over the next few weeks, doing a survey of 2 Corinthians. And I'll, as we consider, I'll talk about more about that later, but as we consider this further campaign... This letter has some practical connections and some spiritual connections to that theme. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're looking at verses 1 through 7. This is God's Word. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves. But Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would abound to us now with your encouragements and that you would equip us with your vision for ministry. What you called Paul to, what you called the Corinthians to, what you call your church throughout time and space to, what you call us to, or that we might rejoice that you our great God and Savior and King, have given us the privilege of ministry with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So why now? Why, of all things, start a capital campaign now? Some of you are probably having various and sundry different reactions. There may be one of you out there who's like, finally, great, I've been waiting for this moment for years. And you're weird. Um, (laughs) Others of you are probably thinking, with all the financial uncertainty in the world, is, is this the time? Others of you might be Wondering what the next few weeks of sermons are going to be. Are we just going to be talking about money the whole time? I mean, Jesus talked about money a lot, so we shouldn't be afraid of that. But that's not what we're here to do. That's not what we are going to be about. The book of 2 Corinthians was written because Paul had to reschedule his plans to come to Corinth to collect the offering that he had been encouraging churches throughout the region in his own little capital campaign to give so that he could take back to Jerusalem and support the church and the Christians there. 
And so the, the whole occasion of the letter is, I'm coming to pick up some money. Be ready. But he only talks about that for like two, two and a half chapters. Because the, 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 the substance, the most important thing, the foundation, the whole reason he was about that was because of this vision for ministry that God had given him. That Christ, exalted as Lord of all, had called Paul, had called the Corinthians, had called believers throughout Asia Minor and the region to be salt and light, to bear witness to the glory of Christ. And he even starts talking at one point about his apostleship, defending it against some who would say, well, Paul, he's not really a Christian. But here in this passage, he shifts from talking about, I am an apostle and I received this calling to, we have this ministry as an invitation to the Corinthians that he goes back to again and again and again, that it's not just Paul's ministry. It's God's ministry. God invited Paul to be a part of it. And Paul's now inviting the Corinthians to be a part of it. So he can speak in terms of we. And he invites us into it too. And so the main goal of this further campaign is not financial. It's not unimportant. We'll talk about it. If we don't raise another dime for the next however many years, but we unite around a a vision for ministry that God himself has given us, it will have been worth the time and effort to study. We seek an intentional, congregation-wide commitment to pray that God would do just that that he would unite us further in vision for ministry. But what, what sort of ministry vision does he have for us? What is it that God is going to lead us further into? Paul describes it right here, and we're going to look at that vision for ministry and, and briefly look at five characteristics of this ministry, what it is, why it exists. And the first is this, that our ministry exists only by the very mercy of God. Paul says it here in verse 1. We have this ministry by the mercy of God. It's not something that we concocted in our own imagination. It's not something that we do in our own strength. It's not something that we are even worthy to participate in. Paul was a persecutor of the church. He hunted down and jailed and killed Christians and supported those who did the same. But God, in his infinite mercy, made a partner in ministry out of an enemy of Christ. And he still does the same. God's mercy draws in and takes those who were once enemies of God, enemies of Christ, and makes them friends and partners and co-laborers in what God is doing in the world. 
And no matter how much uncertainty we may feel now, the world has always been full of it. We never know what tomorrow is going to bring. Culture is changing, and it seems to me, maybe it's just me as I get older, but it seems like it's changing faster and faster and faster. My uh, soccer players, a few of them got together and said, Coach, take a picture of us. I used to do IT for a living, so I know how to work a camera on a phone, and I take the picture, but it's one of those gimmick apps that takes a picture of the person taking the picture instead of the people in the picture. And I'm, why is it not working? And takes this, you know, picture of me looking like a confused old man, which I am. Just life is advancing faster and faster. It gets crazier and crazier. There's new apps that make fools of us daily. Relationships are stressed. The world is an upheaval. The economy, the wars, there's a whole lot of uncertainty in the world. There always has been. There always will be. But Paul says we have a ministry by the mercy of God. And because of that, because he has invited us into his plans and his purposes and his work in this world... Throw all the uncertainty at us you want. We do not lose heart. Because God is at work. What does God have for us here at CRPC? Over the next year, five years, ten years, twenty years, however long he chooses to to allow our lampstand to remain in place. What does he have for us? I don't presume to know what to tell you. That's why we're inviting you, each one of you, to let us as a congregation join together and pray, God, what do you have for us? Where would you have us go? What would you have us be? What would you want that ministry to look like here? We have that ministry by the very mercy of God. And that ministry exists to declare God's word. That's the second thing I want us to see. You see it here in verse 2. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. No tricks. People will ask me sometimes, I meet somebody new, and they're like, well, what do you do for a living? I'm always tempted to be like, well, I run a medium-sized nonprofit that helps people really find healing and live a, a life that is full of joy. But usually I just say, I'm a pastor. And they're like, oh, I go to this church over here. You know, just, you know I, but I, like, I don't need to hide or manipulate or be ashamed of what it is I believe or what it is I do or what it is God has called me to be about. We preach what the scriptures say. And when it comes to hard passages, we can't skirt around them. This is one of those. We'll come to that hard section here in a moment. We want to make an open statement of the truth. But not, not just 
in any sort of way, right? Because you can say things that are true and be a real jerk about it. But Paul here says, we, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience. He wants to declare that truth openly, but in a way that people will hear, that they will consider, that it will have an impact on their conscience, that they might, in the, as God is at work, bring them to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The thing is, if we were to measure our efforts by worldly markers of success, I don't know. The world values efficiency. How, how efficient are we at this really? Or return on investment. Like, are, are we going to get out what we put in? What is the value of a soul? I don't, I don't presume to know. What's the impact that we're going to make? Are we going to be change agents and influencers in our, cult, influencers in our culture so that everything is better after we're done with it? What are the results? The world gauges success based on those sorts of things. But that's not what Paul gauges success on. Nor does God. Because Paul isn't worried about the results. His ministry is received by God's mercy. It's done in God's sight. And all God has called Paul and us to do is to engage people with the truth of Jesus. The results are up to him. He is the one with the power to change hearts. He is the one with the power to give sight to the blind. He is the one who has the power to bring the dead to life, to turn the heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Our ministry does not exist to be successful by worldly standards. Our ministry exists to declare what is true to people who need to know. We're going to have a a time of frequently asked questions. It doesn't have to be the only time. This campaign is, is going to be run on transparency. You want to know what's what? We'll tell you what's what. You want to see the documentation? We'll show you the documentation. We're not ashamed of it. It's worth talking about. But here's something even more worth talking about. And not for our own good. The scriptures speak of the Lord Jesus enduring the cross and despising its shame for the joy that was set before him. And that joy was the people that he would make his own. This is what God is doing in the world. He's bringing people to himself. He is redeeming sinners. He's giving life to the dead. And it ought to be the cause of rejoicing. Every time someone comes to that knowledge, the angels in heaven rejoice. There's an opportunity for us to as well. Do we have God's own heart for the lost that we would want to commend ourselves to their conscience in the sight of God, that we would want to to openly talk about what it is we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us so that they would hear and know and believe? Do we have 
a heart for people the way our God has a heart for people. Do we take joy in the ministry that God has called us to? That ministry is to declare the truth and watch Him work. But don't don't be mistaken, our ministry will receive a great opposition. The third thing I want us to consider is that our ministry exists in the midst of a great spiritual war. You see this in verses 3 and 4. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. This is a hard passage. It's a heart-wrenching passage. To know that Satan is still actively at work in this world. Running about like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. I didn't make up the number 666,000. I asked our church financial officer, what do we need to raise to pay off our debt? He said $666,000. I was tempted to ask him to change the number just a little bit. Um, I'm not too superstitious about it. Right? I mean, it's our zip code, 23666. So, you know, if we can't get used to that number now, we'll never get used to it. But, but I, I'm not particularly superstitious, but it does make me think about the description of what Satan is about. In Revelation 12, there's a great dragon spewing lies, seeking to destroy the church if he can, to deceive even the elect if he can. And Paul talks about that here. This is what he does. Spews such lies that he can put a veil over people and lead them on a path that would lead them to perish. This is what we're up against. God is not calling us to to just be about making a stand or or gaining power, but to, to be about the ministry that He has called us to for the sake of saving real people from perishing. Obstacles to our ministry are not debt. Not when we serve the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The obstacles to our ministry are the world, the flesh, and the devil himself. And yet the Lord himself promises that not even the gates of hell can stand against his church. Because God himself is with us. It's his ministry that he's given us by his mercy that he is at work bringing about the results that he has purposed beforehand to do. And so we do not have to shirk away from this opposition in fear, but we can lean into it with confidence and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the fourth thing I would like us to see, is that our ministry exists for that very reason, to exalt Jesus as Lord. What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God 
in the face of Jesus Christ. It can be overwhelming to consider that there is such a veil over people's faces that they have so bought in to the lies of Satan that they cannot believe the gospel that we proclaim. might feel a little bit like the prophet Isaiah that God sent out to preach to a people who would not listen. Why? Why would God do this? And yet Paul reminds us that the sort of God we serve is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, and there was light. With a word, he brings a light where there is darkness. With a word, he brings a life where there is death. With a word, he has power. And so when we exalt Jesus, the word made flesh, we're not relying on ourselves or our beauty or our intelligence or our strength or our ingenuity. We are lifting up Christ the word. And letting God reveal himself to those who, as blind as they may be, they will encounter the God who gives sight. Years ago, my father-in-law gave everybody in the family these tactical flashlights. It's like in broad daylight, like they're so bright when they work. They're so bright, like you can't see anything. Do not look in those things. You will go blind and you will need God to give you sight again. But the thing is, is that that's the whole point, right? You have these tactical flashlights. So if you're in a dangerous spot, you shine the light and the, the person you're shining it at can't see you. All they can see is light. They're blinded. And that's, that's the sort of thing that we are not presenting ourselves, but we are servants for Jesus' sake. And we are presenting him. Don't look at us. Look at the light. Because we too once had our minds veiled. We too were once perishing. We too had once bought in to all the lies of Satan. But God shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And if he can give us sight if he can exalt Jesus and help us to see him, if he can bring us from being enemies of the cross to being friends and co-laborers in his ministry by his mercy, he can do that for anyone. This was Paul's refrain again and again and again. If God can save me, he can save anyone. And if he can save you, he can save anyone. But are we willing to live as a church, not for ourselves, but as servants for Jesus' sake? Are we willing to walk the path that he would have us walk? Are we willing to suffer reproach from the world? Are we willing to stand up against the gates of hell? What are we willing to sacrifice so that others might know the Lord the way we know the Lord? Our ministry exists not to exalt ourselves, but to exalt Christ. 
And in so doing, the last thing I want us to see is that our ministry exists to display God's power in us and through us. Been here a little over 10 years now. It doesn't feel that long. And then at the same time, it feels a lot longer. And the longer I do this, the more ill-equipped I feel, the more I, I just don't know. I can't even figure out apps that my soccer players give me. How am I supposed to figure out how to do ministry in an ever-changing culture? How am I supposed to figure out how, what people need to know and hear to bring them to a saving knowledge of Christ? And I think maybe, perhaps, that's the point. The longer we do these things, the more we feel what Paul feels in these verses in 8 and 9 and 10. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our bodies. The longer we go, the weaker we realize we really are. We're just jars of clay, full of cracks and crevices, easily shattered. But God has put in those jars a treasure of insurmountable glory. That we are free. Yea, we are invited, encouraged to share with all who have ears to hear. That when they see that treasure, it's not us they see, but that they see the glory of who our God is and that the surpassing power of their salvation is so clearly from God and not from us that God alone receives the glory. So the Lord Jesus who bore in his body our sins on the cross. It was the Lord Jesus who rose again from the dead. It's the Lord Jesus who ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. It is the Lord Jesus who will come again to judge the living and the dead. And it is the Lord Jesus who is interceding for his people even now. The surpassing power has always belonged to God. How can we together step out in faithful dependence on Jesus and this mission that God has called us on with boldness and confidence that as weak and as frail as we may be, God is yet able to do great things. And and the least great thing that God might be able to do is raise a bunch of money, right? Like that is, that, is the, that is the easiest thing for God to do. What are the lives that will be transformed? Who are the people that he will redeem? What are the families that he will transform? What is it that God is about that he is calling us to participate in? To simply step out in faithful dependence on Jesus. This is the vision I think the Lord is calling us further into. 
a heart for people, a joy in mission, a boldness in sacrifice, a dependence, prayerful dependence on the Lord to work with power. That's why we're doing this campaign. If we raise money, that's great too. But if we can step out the end of this with a greater vision for the glory of Christ to shine in us and through us, it will have been worth the effort. So that's the invitation. Will you join us in going further in this vision for ministry? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, exalt Jesus before us and help us to see what you are calling us to be about. And help us to depend on you for everything, for the resources, for the power, for the glory. Because we are mere jars of clay. Help us to go out into this world strengthened, though, with the might of your power, emboldened and encouraged because we have seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Help us to be a people eager, joyful, anxious to share Him with all who have ears to hear, that Jesus might be exalted, that we might be His faithful servants. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.